Welcome to the Hardwick Evangelical Church Weekly Podcast. I'm going to sneak up on my subject a little bit, start with a few generalities. Um, Proverbs, as we remember, are sort of oral snippets, distillations of an idea, pithy sayings. Many cultures use them. They're useful to be spoken into a situation. And the skill, as we learned, lies in knowing which proverb applies in which circumstance. The value of a good proverb is in the understanding that it reveals and the discussion that it provokes. You might say, "Mm, is that always true? What are the exceptions? And does it apply to me? Now, I fess up, I've cribbed heavily from two other writers. One is Craig Bartholomew, who's written a nice book, Reading Proverbs with Integrity. And this is a Grove book. The Grove books are produced in Cambridgeshire at Ridley Hall. They were. <coughs> and they, um, they tell the Anglicans what they believe. And the other is um, an article from a, book, a journal called Hebrew Studies, which is, says, well, wealth and poverty, give the game away, system and con- contradiction in Proverbs. So there we are. I fess up. I haven't figured this all out by myself, but I have figured out how to use it. So I'm reliably informed that the book of Proverbs is is like a collection of collections of teaching material. There's evidence of quite a lot of editing and moving stuff about and when you dig into the understanding of the Hebrew in the text, but I don't understand that, it doesn't matter. But it's for the young men at court, the princes, the sons of families with wealth and influence who would be expected to become the governors and the magistrates in the land made me think, actually, think how Saudi Arabia, most of the officials are princes from the, of, of, of the kingly line. Well, if Solomon had all those wives, there must have been an, a lot of young men kicking around who would be expecting a job. So you wanted to train them to do it well. And there's a lot of material in Proverbs. There are nuances and subtleties which I'm going to shamelessly coast across um, because we don't have time. But... But do look for yourselves and bear in mind, these are not laws or instructions, they're they're points to ponder. Imagine imagine a young princeling, he's sitting there under the bougainvillea by the shady fountain with his tutor. And the tutor says, listen young man, a good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is greater than silver or gold. Discuss. When wisdom is personified, as a woman, of course, she calls out in the street, in the square, in the busiest corner, in the city gates. These are the places where government and justice were happening. The young men that were being trained here are urged to cultivate wisdom in the realm of rule and politics, law courts and justice. Hear this from chapter 8. Starting at verse 12. I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. 
I hate pride and arrogance, evil behaviour and perverse speech. Counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have insight. I have power. By me, kings reign and rulers issue decrees that are just. By me, princes govern and nobles all who rule on earth. I love those who love me and those who seek me find me. With me are riches and honour, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice, bestowing a rich inheritance on those who love me and making their treasuries full. Now, previous speakers have defined wisdom as a product of knowledge exercised with prudence and good character. Knowledge by itself can be used for good or ill, so it must be handled with respect <coughs> for others and respect for God. We, we all know, say, how to light a bonfire, don't we? We can all get the paper and the sticks and the match and then pile up the kindling. So <coughs> when we were a bit chilly in the hall a few weeks ago, we, we could have lit a fire, right? We knew how to do that. We could have warmed ourselves up. Well, no, of course we don't, out of respect for each other, the school, the rule of law. We would never do that. That knowledge tempered by prudence, just in a very small example. Now, the passage from chapter 8, it seems to end with a promise of wealth. People who are being wise, I walk in the way of righteousness, along the paths of justice, bestowing a rich inheritance on those who love me and making their treasuries full. So you now <coughs> probably have figured out what I'm sidling up to, wealth and poverty, well, sort of. Now, if you hear there's going to be a talk from Proverbs on money, you get an instant pain in the wallet. We start to expect to hear certain things. We expect to hear we're going to be, we should give money away. And we're, in doing so, we'll be blessed by God and he'll give us more money. I mean, there are preachers who make a living out of that message. And to prove it, they quote this, Proverbs 3.9. Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will bring over with new wine. Because then they'd have to preach a sermon against drink, but you get the point. <coughs> We expect to hear that we'll be well off if we work hard. That diligence is a subclass of wisdom and righteousness. And sloth is a subclass of folly and wickedness. But to be fair, this is pretty much common sense. In Proverbs, the sages are using imagery of farming a lot. Where common sense tells us if you put in the work, you have to put in the work to reap the harvest. Proverbs 10.4 Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. He who gathers crops in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. 28.19, those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies will have their fill of poverty. And if somebody told you there was going to be a talk on, proverb, on money from Proverbs, you'd expect to hear that we'd be blessed with wealth if we're good enough. 13.22, a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. 13.25, the righteous eat to their heart's content, but the stomach of the wicked goes hungry. But we live in the real world, don't we? We know there are godly people working their socks off and not still making enough for their basic needs. 
Are they under some kind of curse from God? And we know there are selfish people with inherited wealth who own property and land and just sit back and let the money come rolling in from investments and rent. Are they especially blessed by God? This kind of question can make us be tempted to dismiss Proverbs as too black and white, too idealistic. Um, We'll come back to that. This is a little excursus now. I would think wealth in Proverbs might not mean piles of cash. Wealth might consist in land or livestock or owning a successful business. And it might be helpful for us to think of wealth as conferring influence and power and poverty as powerlessness and lack of opportunity. That wealth gives you power and influence, poverty, powerlessness and lack of opportunity. And there are a few modern myths that we might assume are backed up by some of the verses that we've just been reading from Proverbs. We almost believe, don't we, that the wealthy and powerful have a right to be in charge. It's a mindset we've only just broken out of in this century. Only about 100 years ago in the UK, we believed in the English gentleman who had an expensive education. He bought his Oxbridge degree. Think of Bertie Wooster. And he had a natural right to boss about lower mortals. There was this term, the criminal classes in Victorian (coughs) England, which meant the poor. In Victorian times, woe betide the clever common man who got ideas above his station. He's not a gentleman. And look at dictatorships like Russia and Iran. The myth put about by the religious authorities in those countries goes, well, these leaders are wealthy and powerful, so they must be blessed by God, however obnoxious and corrupt they are. And think about working hard and doing well. Even the self-made billionaires that have so much money they're building space rockets to pass the time. They needed a lucky break. Hard work on its own won't necessarily result in success. We know this. So, what are these sages talking about? Is Proverbs really black and white on the subject of wealth and poverty? Now, as I say, I've cribbed heavily from this article. And... This writer knows Proverbs far better than me and presents a whole lot of information, a whole lot of verses. So imagine my delight when I find he puts his stuff into a table. Now, when I'm faced with a lot of material that I can't get my head around, I like to put it in a table. And I was merrily making slides. Thank you, David. Would you mind? I was merrily making slides to show... And Steve phoned and he said, oh, remember we're in the community room and so and so. And I go, oh, uh okay, I can't do slides then, can I? So please don't start reading it now. Moratorium, embargo. Don't read it until I tell you. Otherwise, imagine it was slides and you wouldn't see the next slide until it went up, would you? So don't look at it yet, please. Or we'll just be all rustling and reading and not listening to me. (laughs) That's the most important thing. Okay, nearly everybody's got one. I'll draw your attention to figure one. Here we have two columns. A table with two columns. One's headed righteous and diligent. And one's headed wicked, lazy and greedy. And we've got two rows. One wealthy 
and one poor. Now, what would happen if we logged the sayings in Proverbs about wealth and poverty into these boxes about wickedness and righteousness? Which box would fill up? Now, please don't panic. We're not about to read the whole book and put them into boxes. We'll use examples, as cribbed from the article, and we'll see what happens. The first thing that happens is that there are lots of sayings which say nothing about character at all, but they state facts, and you've got them listed there. 22.7, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Hmm, that's a thought. 10.15, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city, but poverty is the ruin of the poor. 13.8, a person's riches may transform their life, but the poor cannot respond to threatening rebukes. <coughs> the poor are shunned even by their neighbours, but the rich have many friends. A gift opens the way and ushers the giver into the presence of the great. <coughs> Lobbying scandal. <coughs> These are not promises or aspirations, they're just statements of fact. And they say nothing about character, so they don't go in any of the boxes. Wealth is nicer to have than poverty. It gives greater opportunity for influence. These sayings acknowledge that in society there is inequality. Right, now we can move to figure two. I'll let you look at figure two now. We're probably most familiar with what we call the character consequence sayings. Hard work leads to wealth and sloth to poverty. For example, now see which boxes they fall in. A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. Oh look, that's in the top left. But a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. That's in the bottom right. So we have phrases or sayings racking up in the wealthy and good and wicked and bad boxes. The hungry eat to their heart's content, but the stomach of the wicked goes hungry. The faithless, that starts at the bottom right, will be fully repaid for their ways and good rewarded for theirs. Humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honour and life, and so on and so on and so on. So there we have. Our boxes are nicely filled. Two classes of people. Good people who become wealthy and wicked people who become poor. Right, job done. This is what we expect from the Bible, no? No. Not so fast. Not only are there statements that acknowledge the existence of inequality, but there are also badness and goodness. Model doesn't always work out. Figure three. Where, which box is this in? Like a roaring lion or a charging bear is a wicked ruler over a helpless people. Yes, rulers can be wicked. A fortune made by a lying tongue, something, 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 Ill-gotten treasures, something, something, something. A tyrannical ruler practices extortion, something, something, something. So wealth can be made by evil means. Power and wealth are not always a sign of God's approval. And these sayings acknowledge the world as it really is. Okay, but what are the something, somethings? Figure four. There are consequences, even for rulers. The table gets a bit messy. A fortune made by a lying tongue is, where's the other half? A fleeting vapour and a deadly snare. You'll be forever looking over your shoulder in case your lies get found out and your wealth confiscated. <coughs> Ill-gotten treasures have no lasting value, but righteousness delivers from death. So you reject the ill-gotten treasures in the top right box, 
but the righteousness comes in your poor and wealthy box. <laughs> you matching them up, Steve. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for those that, who were just listening, this does make sense. I'll put a link. <laughs> um, a tyrannical ruler practices extortion, but one who refuses ill-gotten gains will enjoy a long reign. So he turns up in the wealthy and good box. So it's messy. It's not straightforward. There are contradictions. Things don't necessarily work according to plan. The young men who are destined to be the rulers are given a clear warning. <coughs> you may be tempted to wield power unjustly and selfishly, but it might well come back to bite you. And this is underlined in figure five with the collection of what are called the better than sayings. And these are all in the poor column row even. Better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Better a small serving of vegetables with love than a fatted calf with hatred. Better to be lowly in spirit along with the oppressed than to share blunder with the proud. And so on and so on. Poverty with righteousness, these proverbs suggest, these sayings suggest, is better than wealth with wickedness. This is being said to the young men of the court, remember. They are already wealthy. They already have power. So what do they take from this? They take this. The wealth, wealth which may appear to be a blessing from God must be subordinate to righteousness, justice and wisdom because misusing those things, well, it's better not to. For these young rulers in training, this is very important. They can't take the fact that they're well off to prove they are blessed by God. If they misuse their powerful status, whether it's economic power or civic power, there will be a reckoning. It's how you use what you have that counts. Now, move to figure six. In some proverbs, the bad outcomes to bad behaviour, as we've seen, can be a natural consequence. You don't do the work, you don't reap the harvest. But sometimes there's a rather prophetic feel. There are warnings of retribution. 2.21, the upright will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it. The wicked will be cut off from the land and the unfaithful will be torn from it. The evildoer has no future hope and the lamp of the wicked will be snuffed out. Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Be sure of this, the wicked will not go unpunished, but those who are righteous will go free. And so on and so on. These sayings convey a feeling of God's ultimate judgment, that even if the wicked prosper, bad rulers oppress, God will have the last word. And... Think back, we're talking about ancient Israel here, and the history of the nation of Israel saw this played out in fact. Kings and spiritual leaders turned away from God over and over again in idolatry and violence, and they were taken into exile. They were thrown out of the land, but the lowest in society, they remained. So I've put all these sayings in the poor row. Of course, there are nuances and subtleties to the Proverbs that I'm just glossing over. As I said, they're not laws or instructions, they're points to ponder. They have local, specific value. 
And as previous speakers have said, wisdom lies in when to use which proverb. Now, remember our imaginary tutor who says, a good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold, young man. Discuss. Is that always true? What are the exceptions? Does it apply to me? The figure seven asks a different sort of question. It's a kind of an odd question and a kind of a good question at the same time. Where am I? Which box do I live in? And the answers are derived in the discussion that ensues. <coughs> the proverbs weren't written for us. They were discussion starters at Solomon's University for Governors. We're not likely to become king or head of a big business or even a town mayor. But we do have enough to eat and somewhere to live and some influence, even if only in the way we vote. So I would say that puts us on the wealthy row. Now, I've, I've optimistically put us also in the righteous column. But we can't claim to be righteous on our own. Look in the wicked, <coughs> look in the wicked column. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. We are spared the retribution that figure six talks about that comes to the wickedness column due to the death and resurrection of Jesus, due to our response of repentance and acceptance of forgiveness from him. But is that the end of the story? Are we just sitting pretty in the wealthy and righteous column? We're responsible for the way that we use the new life that we're given. And part of that way is how we use our wealth and our power and our influence in the world. How do we respond to these proverbs? 21.13 Whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. 17.5 Whoever mocks the poor shows contempt for their maker. Whoever gloats over disaster will not go unpunished. 1917. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. 2115. When justice is done, it brings joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. 16.8. Better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. Discuss. Work it out for yourself. Is that always true? What are the exceptions? Does it apply to me? For more information about Hardwick Evangelical Church, please click the website link in our bio. 